Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Daniel Romano is a gifted multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, producer, poet, musician, and filmmaker currently based near his hometown of Welland, Ontario. Though already respected for his prolific and inspired recorded output, Romano and his band The Outfit have been particularly productive since the dawn of the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns, releasing countless albums since the late winter of 2020. In 2021, he released three albums, the solo effort Kissing the Foe, a live album with the outfit called Fully Plugged In, and the full band studio effort Cobra Poems, all of which were released via the label he co-founded, You've Changed Records. Daniel and I caught up recently for a chat about a whole host of things, including the movie and the band The Doors, the perilous prospect of touring again, recording the Julie Dwaran album I Thought of You and then playing three recent shows in her backing band, 
why he has ceded some of the lead singing duties in his band to outfit member Juliana Riolino, the Beatles documentary Get Back and how so many rock music conventions were invented because of their unprecedented success, how Dan can sometimes freestyle in the studio a little bit like Jay-Z, and the story of the time that I met Jay-Z after co-producing a Jay-Z interview segment on the CBC radio show Q. The time Rick Rubin tried to get Jay-Z to rap over a Fugazi song, Dan's work with his wife Carson McHone on her forthcoming Merge Records release Still Life, why his band is mentioned in the liner notes to Bob Dylan's Springtime in New York bootleg series edition, plans to release some digital releases on vinyl, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 660th episode of Creative Control, featuring your friend and mine, Daniel Romano, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to see you via the internet. Yeah. Oh, my. What, what do you got? My, you got a I bite? got a BBC, BBC News thing that I forgot to turn off my phone. Let me I guess. I put it on Do Not It's bad Omicron, news, Yeah. Oh. Omicron, 50 to 70% less likely to need hospital care. Oh, it's good news. Yeah. Than previous COVID variants analysis, analysis by UK health agencies. What was the percentage of that? 50 to 70% less likely. Okay, that's pretty good odds. Yeah, I'm sorry I got in. That was the BBC News report that came in on Thursday, December 23rd at 10.06 a.m. That's good. So that's good depending stuff. on when people are hearing this, yeah. the news might have changed. I yeah, thought, that is good. I thought they were going to not tell people that until after a lot of people got their boosters. Because I, I think makes- that was already news coming out of South Africa, but they, I felt like, okay, well, they're not going to tell people in a broad spectrum so that more people will go you know do you feel like uh do you feel generally like we know too much i don't know anything (laughs) do you okay (laughs) let me put it this way do you feel like we've been given uh too much varied information to actually make sound decisions i mean i feel like that's just uh you know par for the course with uh i hate i don't want to make golf analogies i don't make anything about golf i feel like that's just how it goes when the entire world is dealing with one thing. Yeah. You know, it's just, you're going to get it from everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. You can't, you can't have a conversation without it being part of it. It's just how it is. Well, I read a funny tweet the other day uh, from someone who said if uh, COVID had happened pre-internet, everyone would be vaccinated. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 So the, the, we have so much information that we're not, we can't handle the truth. Remember that movie, A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise? <laughs> I do, And yeah. Kevin Pollock and Demi Moore and Kevin Bacon? There's lots of people in it. Yeah. Anyway, and there's other, there's someone it's else like, notable. It's like the movie JFK where everyone's in it. 
That's right. That's true. Even yeah, Newman from Seinfeld. That's right. <laughs> Newman is in it. And John Candy is in it. You're like, what yeah. the? Everyone is in it. Everyone's in it. Donald Sutherland has a, he plays the informant. That's a, when's the last time you watched JFK? I watched it like a year and a half ago. I don't know. I honestly, I don't even know <laughs> if I've ever seen it. I just heard somebody <laughs> say that once. I uh, was dating someone uh, uh, on, on 9-11. I, 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 my, my, the woman I was dating admittedly would be like, I don't What's happening? And we were watching the we were watching it at the University of Guelph, like on the TV. Yeah. And I, I made a very insensitive comment as a a gaggle of people were like, "What is this? What's happening?" Like it, we didn't even know it was a terrorist attack. Yeah. But then they started to say it, and I said something very wrong, which I tend to do sometimes. I said sure. like, you know, as far as plans go, that's pretty good. And and everyone sort of tittered. <laughs> yeah. Like I like not taking into the humanity, but I'm totally. like as far as destructive horrible things. Anyway, that night she was there my girl, my lady friend at the time. And then uh, I was like she's like I don't know what why do people hate America? What's going on? I don't understand. I'm like, "Oh, you know what we should watch tonight? JFK." Totally. And it blew her mind. She's like, yeah. "What?" I'm like, "You know, whatever. It's Oliver Stone, but actually, you know what, Dan, last night, you know what I watched uh, The Doors. The documentary. The movie, the, no, the actual, <laughs> it, I think it is a documentary. The Oliver Stone film, The Doors, has shown up on one of my streaming services. Yeah. So I've been watching, it's so long. I What was with Oliver Stone? Everything was like three hours. You ever watch an Oliver Stone movie? Have you ever seen any? Yeah, uh, probably. I don't know. You don't know, you don't know the director? You're talking about The Doors, uh, like the band, right? The band, the band The Doors yeah. had a biopic made. Right. Yep. By Oliver Stone in like 1990, 91 or something like that. I know yeah. this because I somehow became obsessed. Who, who plays uh, James Morrison? James Douglas Morrison uh, was played by Val Kilmer. Oh, that would to, be good. He's to good. To an almost eerie extent. Like it yeah. was to the point where they're like, the rest of the He's, doors were like, maybe we can play shows with this guy doing yeah. it. But instead, I think they got uh, Ian Asbury from the cult to do some of them right and, and then i found if you go on if you get into a, a doors uh, wor- wormhole you'll find yeah. eddie vetter singing with the doors and it's very really? it's weird i don't uh i was obse- i was obsessed with the doors when i was a little kid to the point yeah. where i i played uh I, I when i was in connecticut i bought a double live concert album uh when we were visiting my uh, my mom's brother my uncle and uh I decided to find it on the streaming service and played it in the kitchen. I knew every word to every like ad lib and poem. My yeah. wife was like, "Why do you?" She just had no idea. You hide your Doors fandom a little bit, I think, as a person, don't you? Did, did you ever? Re- I, here's 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 the thing. If I was Oliver Stone and I was making a biopic of the Doors, I would sort of venture more into the world of realm of fantasy. And add a bass player. The, well, they had a bass player in LA. That's why would why would first of all, <laughs> why was that your go to thought? You think the Doors were really lacking in the in the bass department? They didn't. So for those who don't know the Doors, uh, the, the keyboardist Raymond Daniel Manzarek, I want to say, I, I feel like that was his name. Uh, he he passed on, but he was the keyboard player, and they never had a bass player. The bass parts would be handled by Raymond Daniel Manzarek. And uh, mm-hmm. this was quite the novelty at the time. So as a musician yourself, you feel a lacking in Doors material. You think they needed a bassist? I've I've never fallen into the 
the grips of James Morrison personally, <laughs> but also, yeah, just as far as the spectrum of music goes, I feel like they could have benefited from somebody holding it down. What what was it about? Because you're a music fan and a consumer, you like music. Uh, I think you study music a little bit. Uh, what was it uh, that uh, your your internal uh, uh, taste making radar? told you doors no don't even go into that what was it about what is it about the doors that you were like no i i don't know but i I think that it's genuine because it was like i was young so i didn't know you know like my parents were in a rhythm and blues band and they would rehearse at home and i would hear all of it and so like you know when i was 13 i started playing drums for them filling in for uh tony bosco who was the drummer who would have things going on or whatever couldn't do it yeah. and i and i knew all these songs uh but i didn't know who who they who they were by or anything you know and i just whenever they would do a door song i didn't like it you just and in, i don't know instinctively you were like no yeah huh. yeah i don't know what it was no they're anyway. not but but to be fair that doesn't that doesn't uh always I, I can't stay true to that statement for everything because yeah. they would do Van Morrison songs and I was like, oh, this is fine. And now I don't, I don't like that. Right. Is it because so, of his various supposed political stances, which I think are- I, try, I try to keep those things separate, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's like too much like meandering, just like pick a melody. Is it, know? is it at all colored by the fact that in the film by Martin Scorsese, The Last Waltz, Van Morrison, <laughs> appears in a unitard and gesticulates wildly like he kind of low high kicks yes low high kicks that's a very good way of putting it yeah when someone gets into low high kicks you can tell something's off there did that did you like his he does uh caravan right yeah in the last while i I think this i think that sort of like repetitive scat thing never really gelled with me i see I, so he's taken a lot of flack over the last year for his latest album, and I've talked about this a little bit extensively when uh, Andre Etier and uh, Sandra Perry were on the show because he came up as a as a group two two and one. That was the episode of the show. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, oh, Sandra cool. has been. That's probably a good. It was one. it was Dan. You should check that one out. It's a bit of I, a, you know what I will. <laughs> If you uh, if you listen to podcasts and uh, and mine at all, that's a good one. I was very happy with that one, but it was a it was a ramble. It was one of those ones where we didn't really even talk about the collaborative record they made. We just went off about our shared youths and Tom Waits and uh, and and Dylan and uh, there's this book uh, that uh, I don't know if you heard tell of it. It's by Mark Howard. The engineer on uh, right, yeah, yeah. Did you know this book? He it, it's called no. You should. So what it is, is Mark Howard wrote a book. Uh, I think I want to say it's, I, I did this the last time. I wish I had it in front of me, but I think it's called Listen Up. I'll send you a link to it because Sandro, mm-hmm. I told Sandro about it and he bought it and he we he just long texts about what he thought of it. But for those who don't know, Mark Howard was a recording engineer and he was a protege of Daniel Lanois beginning um, somewhere around Oh Mercy, yeah. like just around 88, 89. He started working with Lanois. And he worked on the Dylan record, Oh Mercy. But he also worked on Time Out of Mind. Uh, he also like worked on Day for Night by the Tragically Hip. And Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's worked with Neil Young and on Lenoise. Yeah. He, he and Lanois had a bit of a falling out, but the point is... That's probably an easy thing to happen. 
so Mark Howard, oh yeah, you'll love the stories of Lanois and Dylan, the iceberg between them yeah. after Dylan couldn't handle, uh, according to Mark. But but the point of the book, the point of this, by the way, is Mark Howard, uh, he's okay now, but he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And he'd had this really rich and storied career working on, with, on so many great records. Like yeah. I mentioned all the people, Lucinda Williams, like Tom Waits, like, just a bonkers ex- like experiences, um, but he thought he was dying, so he wrote a book that basically, I mean, it does it excoriates Lanois, yeah, and and says that he took credit for things like he like he says Lanois didn't even like Time Out of Mind. He was actually he hated he thought it was blues rock, boring blues rock, and he ostensibly after a major tantrum, according to Howard Dylan banned Lanois from most of the sessions for the rest yeah. of the time. Anyway, but you that's, you know, it could be gossip and I don't want to Dan's been Dan Lanois has been on I've talked to Dan a bunch. He's been very nice to me and friendly, but I also met Mark uh in the course of covering this book and he seemed very kind, so I'm trying to be a diplomat and sometimes yeah. based on his recount they they seem very it seems very viable and true. I mean, you might remember this after uh, a time out of mind Dylan made Love and Theft by himself and kind of uh, dismissed Lanois' swampy production. Do you remember? There was a little chill between them. And they won, like, the album of the year Grammy. Like, it was very successful. In my opinion, Time Under Mind is is far superior. Or, sorry, I mean Love and Theft is far superior to Time Under Mind. Sonically? Or just as a whole? In in every way. I see. Okay. I've, for 20, 15 years, I said Love and Theft was my favorite Dylan album. Yeah, me too. But then uh, I've fallen. I, I say it wavers between that and time out of mind. I just love that era. These days, I uh, became reacquainted and more fond of time out of mind because I sing and play guitar to my kids at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ramona, in particular, I sing uh, "Make You Feel My Love," and I also well, that doesn't always put her out. So you have to go. <laughs> then you have to go longer. So then I'll yeah. I'll do uh, "Standing in the Doorway" mm-hmm. and. So just, I mean, it's one of those things with me. I don't know what it is. Songs, uh, I retain songs as a fan, and uh, it comes quickly. Like, I don't know what it is. Like that, as you you know, Dan, I'm sure, standing in the doorway, there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, and I keep going, and I play. It's really fun. Anyway, I agree. I love Love and Theft. I wrote a master's thesis on Love and Theft. I think it's brilliant. But uh, anyway, all this to say, you should get that book. I think it's called Listen Up by Mark Howard. And uh, I wish I had it in front of me. But anyway, what was the point of all this? Why were we talking about uh, Daniel Lanois? And uh, I had something. Probably, I, we were talking about, like, oh, COVID. the doors, the doors. Let me tell <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, right. Let me tell you this, though. You know who liked the doors a little bit is uh, Iggy Pop. Uh, he got. I had a dream about Iggy Pop last night. Oh, what was happening in it? Oh, it was very strange. We were, okay, so we were escaping something or running around either chasing or being chased. Uh, through the streets of, let's just say, New York. And then we ended up in, like, the front loader of a tractor, and we had to, like, hide there and wait for this, like, uh, you know, like, two-carriage transport truck to turn a super intense corner, and we had to sort of, like, at the exact right axis, jump over it. And once we passed that threshold... There was this understanding that 
I was the reincarnate of Iggy Pop and the, and he explained to me that reincarnation can take place in a non-linear sense where we're both actually still living at the same time. Oh. And I'm sort of, he's, he's consuming my, the energies of my pseudo youth and I'm consuming his wisdom in this way that is like, you know, uh, moving in all directions. And it was, it was crazy. That's lovely and beautiful and has a sort of existential philosophical bent. I think it's also at least one subplot of the film Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot going on there. Have you, have yeah. you ever encountered Iggy Pop yourself in your travels? No. Okay. So I like Iggy Pop and, Me too. uh, he, he, you know, he was on the show. Uh, once, oh, yeah? which was a big thrill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, that was like, that's one of the biggest things ever. I was like, what the hell? My point, though, about the doors is that Iggy saw the doors and they were so Morrison, James uh, Douglas Morrison was so uh, intoxicated or inebriated or what have you, uh, that Iggy thought, oh, I could do that. It was so chaotic. And I think uh, the show he saw, it must have been probably in Detroit or something like that, it was so yeah. bad, but good. Like he loved it. I think, and some will debate this, because there's obviously some pretension there, pretense rather, just yes. in the poet-shaman thing that Morrison was maybe going for, but proto-punk potentially, some proto-punk stuff. I mean, The Doors were really influenced by like Coltrane. If you listen to that band, mm -hmm. my wife and I were watching uh, Kevin Dillon pretend to be John Densmore, the drummer, and she's like... She, you know, she was rapping present, sort of absentmindedly looking at the screen as I was just like in a trying to wind down, watching the doors, from yeah. the, you know, wind down from the day. And she was just listening, and every once in a while, I would watch Kevin Dillon emulate the drumming. She's like, "That the drumming's good, right? Like you must like that as a drummer." I'm like, "Yeah, I always thought John Densmore was a really great drummer. I never really." Famously, Led Zeppelin did shows with the Doors and claimed they just hated them, hated the Doors, hated them as a thought they were terrible musicians and all this stuff. But then I, I that makes me like the Doors more. <laughs> I thought they were actually, you know, again, I'm on a slight Doors buzz. Yeah, and because uh, I just decided to watch the movie and then I listened to that. I've, that is my favorite thing. Is they, it's called like the Doors in concert. When I had it in. 1991 it was a it was a double cassette i assume yeah. it's a double record or something anyway i'll tell you like it's as a performer you know they didn't he didn't seem like he's not a good person i read uh, i also recently read uh please kill me you ever read that book that oral history of punk by uh, legs mcneil oh, yeah totally yeah so yeah. The, i think it's danny fields yeah. He says Jim Morrison was a fucking asshole, just a horrible yeah, sure. guy. And he seems terrible. Yeah, he did seem terrible. And I'm trying to, you know, yeah. It's a nightmare to be around. Yes. And like there was a thing with him and Nico from the Velvet Underground and they had a thing. And but anyway, like there's a whole lot of gossip in that book, too. But yeah, he didn't. They didn't seem. That, they would have made beautiful children. <laughs> they would have. Yes. There's a, a scene. There's a sex scene between them, supposedly, in the Oliver Stone film. Uh, Who plays Nico? I don't know, but it's someone who does not resemble Nico uh, yeah, or sound to do. sound like Nico. It's it's some sort of supermodel, I think, because they yeah. they want all, yeah. all out. Anyway, if I can recommend one film to you today, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, uh, Scrooged. I don't know if you've seen Scrooged, yeah. but that's yeah, a good no, that's know. a good one. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. I think Bill Murray plays 
a Jim Morrison character. Anyway, it's... Yeah, I think even Bill Murray's character in uh, Ghostbusters is pretty Jim That's Morrison. true. You brought it full circle. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where in the world are you, Dan? I don't even know where you are right now. I'm in Welland, Ontario. Welland, for sure. Is that... But where are you precisely? Are you in your new studio oh, space? Yes, yes. What's it called again? Camera Varda. And what is the reference there? What does that mean? Agnes Varda. And because... She's the greatest, and uh, I don't know. That was just the two words that went together. It's nice. There's a song. There's a dedication to the studio on, yeah. I want to say, your latest album, but as we're speaking, who knows what's going to happen. I'm going to say one of your latest albums. Am I wrong? Did you slow down a little in 2021? Is it only three records that you put out, or am I missing something? That's correct. Yeah, yeah that's correct. How, how did that feel, being real casual, only putting out three records in one year? Um pretty good i got busy with other things yeah i think yeah other people's things and you know okay you don't feel you don't like was that relaxing to only put out three in a year i don't know i've never been relaxed do you think uh i'm obviously making some silly jokes uh you for those who don't know you spent uh, the first pandemic year 2020 deciding to fight it cranking them out you i thought you purpose i don't know if we've had a conversation since the, you know what you're one of the last bands uh people i've ever seen play live music because you happen to be in edmonton alberta uh just prior to the pandemic i want to say it was january or february of 2020 is that with h and shapes maybe i know it's probably a blur for you but do you remember we went to that it was the rec room i do remember that yeah and we were in that uh green room that space weird up upstairs green room yeah yeah, yeah. So you're one of the last people I saw. And then I, after the lockdowns happened, you started churning stuff out. Uh, initially, it was like weekly, right? Almost. You were putting something out about once a week. Yeah. And people were like, this is amazing. But then it also became kind of like... That's the thing. That's why I stopped. It was just like, this. it's not sustainable, you know? Well, there was that thing, but I know you're conscious of uh, people, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, talking about you in a way that... Uh, maybe it's not about the thing you make it's more about the way you make a thing or what anyway yeah i mean like the the idea of being uh, uh prolific can be uh demeaning I yeah think. They, they it was almost like what are we supposed to do uh with this guy what do we do with this guy this fucking guy he can't stop making <laughs> records you know and that's the attitude that i heard yeah and then people i thought do you think that was distracting people from actually focusing on the music itself or the poems or whatever you were uh, releasing? Well, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, shy of you and a few other people, I don't think many journalists focus on the actual music anyway. You think so? They just want to Yeah, talk. I think they want a story or whatever. Hmm. You know, you got to make up stories now to go with your records. <laughs> Did, was just there, to, was just there, get any attention. <laughs> but was there... So I can't see you thinking this will be a fun story. You just were doing what was what came natural. And I think some of that stuff, by the way, like you'd had it in the... It was on the shelf. You just got it off yeah. the shelf, right? It wasn't like yeah. you were making. Was there? No, was there? A, I think it, it accidentally became my best story, though. Well, I think it was actually. I get what you're saying about uh, people uh, obfuscating the music by talking about whatever else they want to talk about, which is a yeah a trick. A cabin in the woods or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody <laughs> makes cab- record their records in cabins now. <laughs> oh, they, they don't. They went they to a to cabin. Say they do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But I, I, I do think that, uh, like, first of all, did you were you was any of that stuff reflective of the time, or was it all kind of back shelf stuff that you were like? I'm- yeah, I mean, I would say. Uh, over 50%. There was a cup. there was like maybe two things. The first thing that came out was basically finished, but I had worked on it just 
prior to uh, uh, getting back from whatever tour. I, I can't yeah, remember yeah, no, exactly, it's a but, blur. but it was yeah. pretty fresh. Yeah. It, it was pretty fresh. Well, there was part of me, and I think I articulated this somewhere, it felt to me that this was, I, I viewed it all as very hopeful uh, in the face of complete darkness and uncertainty. Uh, I don't know if you did this for yourself to feel feelings and sane and distracted maybe even from the world um was there Mm -hmm. any impulse within you i know that you as a person who makes music with a following it's part it's for you but it's you know you have people who need it i'm sure there's part of you that realizes that you have a fan base that appreciates what you're doing so was there any part of that output that felt like uh something that you thought might be a bomb uh for whatever all you and everyone was kind of going through I think, yeah, I mean, I think releasing music in general, hopefully the, the, the outcome is that. Yeah. But yeah, I guess, I guess. Well, uh, I, I, I mean, think. like you could have most people, if you were on like a major record label, they'd be like, no, 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 we can't handle this. We can't handle like a, a, a once a week, a, a couple records a month. We can't do that. It's, we can't market it. We can't blah, 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 blah. You're oversaturating. Things. Yeah. But you, I felt, I thought uh, that you were doing it purposely to keep us all happy <laughs> and well it was a, it's a weird you know it's a weird thing that's never come about in my lifetime before where you know you kind of you know that there's the majority of people with nothing but attention yeah you know yeah yeah and you couldn't tour you had to do exactly. something yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And did it work out? Like, that's a lot of effort for you. Did it sort of, did it sustain, was it sustainable? Like, I know it was sustainable creatively, probably. You were like, I can't keep doing this. And not all of it was pressed, right? Some of it was digital. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So was it? Almost all of it. Almost all of it? Yeah. I'm sorry. It was a year ago and time is moving quickly. There were like like actual records that came out throughout all of that. But yeah, anything that, uh, the majority of it was was digital. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say I didn't really. I think I might have texted you, thank you, or something. But I just want to say, as a fan and as a person going through the world, it was appreciated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah, you know who wouldn't have done this? Uh, selfish Jim Morrison. He wouldn't have done this. No way. He would have been wearing. He would have went his- on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> now your band, the outfit, uh, is amazing. Uh, I, I've seen them. I see. I've seen this configuration. Actually, maybe only once at least. Palace with the Sadies. I, this yeah. is entirely possible, right? Because the last time I saw you was Ancient Shapes. Ancient Shapes, yeah. Some yeah. of the same people, not everyone. Yeah. Uh, just for the folks listening at home, tell the folks at home who's in the uh, Daniel Romano outfit right now. The outfit, yeah. It's uh, David Nardi on guitar, Roddy Rossetti on bass guitar, Juliana Rianlino on vocals, Carson McCone on vocals and auxiliary percussion, and my brother Ian Romano on drums. Right. That is five plus me equals six. That's right. Is this the um, most steady configuration besides ancient shapes? Is this the most steady configuration you've worked with uh, as a solo artist in some time, or is it? Uh, I know some of these. Yeah, it, yeah. It feels. It feels. It, it feels complete. It feels where I've. I've always wanted it to be, or dreamed even that it could be. Yeah. It is. It is there now, and we almost got to uh, show people that. <laughs> the other day <laughs> yeah i was telling you before we started rolling that um i often talk to your friend and mine steve steve lamke uh yeah. over the texting and uh and then we had a couple of phone calls but he uh, months ago uh it was announced uh that you the outfit would be playing 
two shows with Mets, I think I want to say, or was it one? Yeah, two, something like yeah, that. Yeah. At uh, at Lee's Palace, I think in yeah. Toronto, right? Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, months and months ago, this when were the shows supposed to happen? December eighteenth, nineteenth, something like that. I think seventeen, eighteen, or seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So months prior to that, they were announced, and Steve said something like, "I don't. Dan's not certain they're going to happen." Because of the and by that point, like things had been going well in terms of the pandemic, things were yeah. starting to loosen and open up. Lockdowns were slightly being you know loosened up, and then the time comes for you to play with Mets, and then the thing starts to this now as we're speaking. There's the variant, and things started to get worse. And the day of, they canceled. You had to cancel the show. Yeah, and I so, got the phone call at 10 a.m. So that's like Nostra. Dennis, like yeah, that's like some stuff you. <laughs> Do you, you plan that? But I mean, is that you just being cynical? I think I would have been the same. Like I couldn't even. No, I, uh, I think I was just being a realist about it, and yeah. you know, I, I I haven't felt. You know, a lot of people have been out and touring and whatever. I I have mixed feelings about that, and that's their, you know, prerogative. But no one in my crew has felt comfortable. Yeah. Doing that, and so we've not done it in the entire duration of this thing so you know we were all wary of the thing anyway and we we had all these backup plans and you know we technically have a tour scheduled for late february which who knows what will happen but you know we have to have all these crazy plans like it's it's a it's a wild risk obviously anybody out there doing this knows that but if anything you know if anything happens at your show to anyone at your show or anyone in your crew, the next two weeks can't happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, your know? your friend and mine, Spencer Burton, was uh, yeah touring exactly. around yeah. a little bit, and he happened to be in Edmonton. And like I, I, I have not gone to see anyone perform, but I, if my friends are, I'm surprised when my friends are around. Like I went to yeah. see Mets the next day after they played, just to say hey. And mm-hmm. I made a plan with Spencer, but uh, we didn't connect. And then, like within a like, he was here, I think, for two nights actually in Edmonton. Yeah. And then uh, we made a plan to connect, but it never happened. And then, like within days, I felt lucky because he was fine. I believe he yeah. didn't. He yeah, he was fine. He, but when he got, you know, he lives in the same. Uh, he lives behind me. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, You're on the same compound. Yeah. Yeah, and so he he, he slept at a weird. Trailer hotel when he got home and then he slept a couple nights in a trailer until he was all cleared, you know? Yeah. So yeah, Um, that's, but I, it's one of these things like, uh, you know, as we're speaking, I'm going through with my wife a little bit there, there, her family's like, what's the big deal? Let's get together for the festivities. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think what, I don't understand what's going on. Like why I feel like I, again, recurringly, like I'm, I'm in the twilight zone. I'm the one being like, well, no, the numbers are up. Why is it whenever yeah. they go up, there's a call to gather, and that, yeah. and they're doing the the, the specific uh, uh, wording now is we will try to hold events uh, like the event people they say we'll try to hold events but half capacity and no concessions no we don't want you to have yeah uh, be and that's able to not drink. sustainable you know yeah. like yeah the the local like there's only one music venue in St Catharines which is like the local you know area here and they can't open because half capacity is not sustainable to pay the bands and they will make zero dollars yeah. because they, they pay the bands hundred percent of the door, which means they only make money from the bar whatever con- concession. Yeah. And they can't do yeah. that. Yeah. So is that the place where it's also a, 
some sort of brewery or is that a different place? No, that's there? a different place. They're, they're yeah. still functioning at half capacity or whatever, but, uh, that's a pretty this small place, place I'm talking about is only for shows. Like it's only yeah, yeah, open yeah. for shows, yeah. you know, like, like Lee's or somewhere like that. Yeah. So I, if I were in a band, I don't think I would, I've been trying to be very logical about yeah. all this and I, it doesn't feel good no. as a, as a dynamic, uh, performer, uh, with a live band that is just, smoking right now not to quote uh, james carey there's a lot of james <laughs> people on the show but as you i know that you are appreciative and uh, cognizant of the context we're in but on a just on a visceral or primal level how difficult is it for you to not be on stage right now it's i don't know i mean i was so nervous leading up to these shows that almost happened like you know we did like a dress rehearsal at a, at that place I was just talking about, warehouse. Oh yeah, in St. Catharines, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just obviously emptied with Kenny, yeah. our sound guy. And yeah, it just felt so strange and yeah. diff- difficult. And I couldn't imagine it. I mean, it's only been, whatever, it's been two years since I played on a stage. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I miss it, but I also am so, feel so disconnected from it now that I don't even know what to, I know that the, that synergy and that communion and everything is the point. But of course there's an aspect of that that you can get from just releasing something yeah. uh, into the universe. Yeah. But it's like immediate and reciprocal in a show setting, obviously. Yeah. I guess I'm just maybe, blocking that out so that I don't uh, miss it so much. I don't know. Well, it's, it's interesting as a performer, as a musician, before you go on stage, after a while it becomes sort of automatic, but you do shift. Yeah. You're, I feel like in my, if I think of it, and it's been years since I've done it, but like for me, I, I, I don't think about it anymore. I just go do it. I just go yeah. play the instrument I'm supposed to play, yeah. but I don't think about it too much because I've just been engaged with it so long. But at the same time, once you check the mic, like I know you, my brain has shifted. Oh, okay, you're performing now. It's one of those things where like five minutes before a stage time, you could be like, oh, my stomach, ah, I don't feel good. And yeah. then you go on stage and it's gone. It's just yeah. gone. You're performing and your brain, your whole body shifts. So you even doing a dress rehearsal, did you have that sensation at all of like, okay, we're playing now. It's different. Totally. As soon as it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's strange. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm usually just riddled with anxiety anyway. And there's a weird sort of like in between oneself type nature that happens when you're in the moment performing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. I think for, I think for anxious people in general, like be, being in the moment is the, the hardest thing. And that's why you feel that way. Yeah. But yeah, when you're forced to, when it's like, you know, every movement and every inflection is uh, dependent on your immediacy then yeah of course you're going to be in that place and not you know so it's it's that thing it's just you know it's like meditation or anything like that yeah i guess it would be you're in a slightly altered state yeah but you're also like it is weird you're when you look out you're you're focused on what you're doing but you're actually hyper aware of everything going totally. on yeah like if someone's having an issue in the crowd you somehow your mind can still find that as you're singing so i imagine yeah, I'm sure there's performers. I haven't talked to any, too many people who've done it, but they must be on stage being like, there's a fucking pandemic right now and I'm singing this song. Like, what the hell? Totally, yeah. It's got to be weird, right? Yeah. So, 
Anyway, I, I know you just did, uh, uh, I keep saying your friend and mine, that might be the subtitle of this podcast, but your I friend like and mine. <laughs> it's just about uh, Steve. <laughs> no, actually, in this case, oh. uh, one of my recent guests was Julie Dwaran. Oh, yes, okay. And you guys made a record uh, together, yeah. um, and it's wonderful, fantastic. Are you happy with it? Are you happy with the, the, the way everything turned out there? Truly, yeah. Okay, good, yeah, because you, you kind of just played guitar, mostly some percussion, and yeah. Yeah, was that okay? You were okay. Did you produce? Were you like, eh? Not really. No? We just kind of did what needed to be done. She had the songs ready, and we were in like some, you know, Bombardier-owned chalet in <laughs> Quebec somewhere. <laughs> Bombardier owned it. I think so. Yeah, like the family. <laughs> Maybe I'm making uh, that up, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Right. The the recording was made somewhere in Quebec is basically what you're saying. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. wasn't even Montreal, right? It was No, it was like like an hour north of right. Montreal. So uh my point of that there, beyond the record being great, uh you played shows, right? You actually did play some shows as a band with three, Julie. Three shows as a guitar player for Julie Dwaron, yeah. So what was that like on a sensory uh level? Because that was only as we're speaking, what, three two, three weeks ago, right? Yeah, and it was three in a row. Um it was so weird. It okay, was. So he, this is this was the this is how it went. Uh, you know, in retrospect, thinking back, it was like the first show was like completely alien, and then the second show it was at the horseshoe. The second show, so I was like, okay, this like I know this. You go in the back, and you go here, and you, you know stand there, and it was just like, okay, well, this is like feels kind of like something. And <laughs> Norm- then, normal y- felt normal yeah, yeah. ish. And then the second show was a weird hybrid of those two things. It was at Salarosa in Montreal. Right. Uh, where there is no sort of escape from the green room, right? Yeah, that's right. That's the other thing. Like, you never think about these things. Well, I mean, t- to a degree you do. Salarosa, the green room's like down some steps, right? Like it's... Uh, there is one down there, but th- there's like a beside the stage one. Oh, there is. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so so regardless, you, you you have to go into the audience at some point. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So there's a lot of not eating, not drinking water so that you don't ever have to go to the bathroom, mm. you know, which is a weird tour thing anyway. You're doing long drives and you just don't even drink water. That's right. You know, that's not good. Dan, I'm worried about you. I drink water. Well, I drink a lot. I drink a lot of water, but I, you know, um, I have to pee a lot if I oh, drink I see. water that's on a like drive a, and it's just like. In the Michael Azarad book, uh, Our Band Can Be Your Life, when he talks to, uh, there's a chapter on Minor Threat, but there's also a chapter on Fugazi. And- Ian MacKay's only real tour advice is drink a lot of water. I mean, that is good advice. <laughs> but you're right. If you're driving and you're in a hurry, the... That's all he says? I think that was the only... No, I haven't read that book in a while. <laughs> I believe it is, though. My uh, my philosophy, yeah. having read that, but also toured, was drink a lot of water, pack some uh, uh, unroasted, like, dry almonds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I have, when I was the tour guy, I would have a bag of, like, bulk barn or whatever almonds yeah. and water. And then, okay, but I shouldn't say this. I'm not some, I'm, no pun intended, I'm not totally a health nut. Every once in a while you get <laughs> your bag of chips or your candy bar sure. or your coke, or your happen. caffeine drink because yeah. you know you got a long drive. But if I, if, yeah, the one of the last big tours I did, they mocked me for my almonds and my water, but then by, you know, a few a weekend, they're like, "Oh, that's a good idea, actually." It's pr- totally. Well, we're all sick. Yeah, exactly. And you're not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. So anyway, yeah. I'm sorry that that was surreal playing uh, those shows. I just wondered if that's your real first taste of post 
at the time anyway, post lock, we're back in lockdown mode, I think, but uh, post lockdown, those are your first real shows. And yeah, and the, the trouble too is I think uh, in some way I built it up in my head as this like sort of like, you know, it's going to be this triumphant return for myself, like just for myself, not like as an entity to the world, but just for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously that, that didn't happen. Well, but I would think I would think <laughs> your first crack at normalcy uh, in terms of what you do for a living uh, happening as a side person. That's a nice way to get your, your feet wet again, isn't it? I did th- also. I, that's where I settled into yeah. once uh, once I got over myself. Yeah. <laughs> OK. And, and it was, you know, it was enjoyable. I mean, I love Julie and I love being around her. Yeah. So that it was easy and she came down here and we rehearsed here the day before and that was nice yeah and hanging out with her, her and danny yeah no it's a fantastic record we had a good chat and she spoke very highly of you and your brother ian and danny and uh i'm very happy that all that took place um speaking of uh julie's this is sort of a segue i want to ask mm-hmm. you a little bit about juliana because um i've become slightly obsessed with her cobra poems uh lead vocal takes yeah. uh i've always uh since i fir- i think the sadie show i saw with you guys opening uh, at least palace a few years ago now i think that might have been my first exposure to juliana on stage with you yeah is that was that early days for you or it's just that was yeah early? i mean yeah. she didn't even get to you know we we were doing our first at- real tour uh when we had to cut it short so she you know we've we've barely had her in the performance game for uh, at all really yeah you know? well i mean I, and she does music on her own as well yeah right? yeah for sure yeah. is it just under her own name or does she have like a project yeah. project yeah. no she she's got an ep out under jr but she, if, going forward she's just going as juliana Rialino. yeah so the songs uh hang on a second i'm gonna grab mm-hmm. it here as a visual aid this is a copy of cobra poems that oh, i have looks here good yeah looks i'm really sh- good. showing it to you it's it's in it's in my it's in the plastic stuff there, but it's unsealed. Don't worry. I just, I can you, is it reflective? Can you actually see it? Anyway, my I point, can see it, yeah. my, no, this doesn't matter to anyone listening, but the no. songs that uh, come to mind uh, in terms of what I was just saying are the motions mm-hmm. and tears through a sunrise. Uh, mm-hmm. Am I missing something? Are those, I think the, it's just those, those ones. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, I want to talk to you first about sort of seating, seating the microphone. What, mm-hmm. what prompted that? Did you write those songs or did she write those songs? How did this all come about? I wrote them. Yeah. I mean, it, the, all of that happened quickly. We, you know, we we decided to build this studio, and as soon as it was finished, we were like, "Okay, let's. We need to do something here and test it out, basically." Uh, so I just banged those songs out real fast, and Jules was like a, a you know, still a fresh member and just trying to like make her feel comfortable and and find her voice and her place in the group, and I was sort of trying to, you know help that along in whatever way I could or whatever. And uh, it was just kind of an in-the-moment decision. You know, we were running the songs uh, together and I hadn't learned to play them yet because I'd wrote them, so I wasn't thinking about how they go. Oh, okay. So so when we were running them, uh, I, I asked Juliana to sing them. So that so you didn't could, have to basically so you could concentrate ex- on exactly. playing yeah okay, okay yeah 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 and then from that I was like oh this is something I've always wanted to happen anyway so just like take you know take it well I don't know what it is but the, the I I'm uh, smitten I'm completely smitten with uh, those two songs 
on the record, and it's not just because they are anomalous to a, my normal Daniel Romano experience. I assumed you wrote them. I really, I was looking at the lyrics for every song last night, and you're really uh, firing on all cylinders again, if I might say. Like, really great. It makes me wonder what some of the things are about, and maybe we can talk about that, but I also don't want to ruin it for anyone. But my my point, though, is, first of all, but Julian is like a partner in the band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, like, a, everyone's equal. No, 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 any, sorry. She, she, isn't she married or something? To oh, someone yes, the, she is, yeah. yes. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. so she, her entry into the band was, is it because of, it's with nope, the... They, no, that was, uh, that was oh, okay. um, the marriage was later. The marriage was later, but you, yeah. you, did you know, who did you know first is, I guess, my question. That's what I'm getting at. Who Actually, is technically, I knew Juliana before I ever okay. knew Roddy, yeah. Okay, but then you say, okay, but she, you always thought she would be a backup singer mostly, and then... Right? I mean, that, I'm basing this on my one experience. Uh, the way it. I think about it, and I guess the way I always sort of imagined it was like co-lead singer. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what does that yeah. say about you, Dan? Like, you, we all know your projects as Daniel Romano. This one's called Daniel Romano's Outfit. Your name yeah. is... I'm slowly oh. trying to, like, you know, it's just wanted to be the outfit. And I'm just, like, working towards that. We talked about this the last time you were on. There's yeah. already a, there was or is already a band called The Outfit. That's okay. They're less popular. I don't us. know who they are. They were around for a while. <laughs> I was in a band called Nathan Cole's Outfit and yeah. uh, in Guelph, but they're long, long gone, so you don't have to worry about us. I, that's what my lawyer said. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I... Uh, that Okay, so you're saying that this this impromptu decision with Jules could lead to more such uh, uh, songs, like uh, on, on an yeah. outfit record. Okay. Totally. What about anybody yeah. else in the band maybe coming up to the mic? Yeah. I mean, like, here's the thing we made uh, on that, on Cobra Poems, uh, my wife Carson, we did this sort of queen trick where basically Carson and Jules were singing the same part for each part of the harmony into one microphone. Uh, you know, I hate giving away tricks, but that's what was happening. <laughs> Why do you hate giving away tricks? That's the whole point of the show is to give everyone the tricks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, th- so we were doing that and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, there's a lot of interesting voices in the band. Dave Nardi has a really interesting and beautiful voice yeah, too. Yeah. And, and, and he does a bunch of singing, uh, a thing we've done recently. I don't know if Steve sent it to you, but, uh, a super private sort of exclusive thing that uh, maybe you're in the know of uh, exists and everybody's everybody has a lead section and uh, it's just like so much more fun no I imagine because I I love singing harmony too like I I I write all the harmony parts right and I usually have to like go in and record them all and then be like this is your part and we break it up and you know and I love doing that so to be able to execute you know these four parts in a live setting is, is sort of the absolute, you know, culmination of my dreams. No, that well, that's that's great, and and you are, mm-hmm. uh, but you are no matter what happens at the time for the time being. You're such a gifted uh, poet and lyricist. Are you still going to be like these? You're going to write the songs. Is that the, still the plan? Yeah. Okay. Th- that's fine. You don't have. To, you said that almost sheepishly, like. I did, but I was thinking, like, is that rude or whatever? But also, at the same time, everybody else has their own yeah, yeah, yeah. thing where they do, you know. Yeah. yeah. So did any of this... When you give a song to a singer, and you, you say you come up with the harmonies and whatnot, 
Yeah. Do yeah. you have input on the phrasing? Do you have input on does, or or vice? Sometimes, but, yeah. but sometimes I'm you know I'm pleasantly surprised with I, you know other people's when other people do things that have anything to do with anything that I'm doing. It's always such a thrill because I have my impulses and they can very easily bore me yeah. or just be you know it's like of course I would do that or whatever you know. So when other people bring their instincts to the table it's it's it goes beyond my thing or it goes beyond like my you know my the genesis of my idea or whatever and becomes something i could not have achieved alone does a there's a singer or vocalist that's that's handling one of your songs ever give you some uh, feedback or suggest a lyric i watch i've been watching uh i'm re-watching the get back documentary yeah about the Beatles and their mm-hmm. sessions to make uh, Let It Be. Uh, and uh, at one point, uh, have you seen this, by the way? I have, yeah. You have seen it? Okay. I have, yeah. We'll talk about this in a second. <laughs> okay. I actually was able to engage Steve Albini in a discussion, a surprising discussion about the Beatles and Get Back because I, I didn't know what he was going to say because yeah. you know, if you know Steve, he might be like, eh, fucking mainstream. Totally. Yeah, Rock, yeah, but yeah. he was like totally sweet and talked, I'll just... It's not a spoiler alert. It's already happened. The episode's mm. out and circulating, and a lot of people were shocked. He m- talked about his interactions with Paul McCartney and George Harrison, like mm. at, when. He, and I was just like, "What?" I had no idea. But he was very yeah. sweet. Anyway, the point I was trying to make is: Do you remember the scene where Paul's working on? I want to say it's a long and winding road, and their roadie, Mal Evans, is like, "What if you say waiting or standing?" He's like, "You think so?" And I'm like, "What the hell?" Yeah. I didn't know that uh, Rhodey would be that comfortable to go up to. The other thing that bothers me about—I mean, he was with them forever. Though. No, I know he's basically there. You know, the one of the funny things in music, the cliches, is the fifth Beatle. Yeah, who's the fifth Beatle in uh, Daniel Romano's outfit? I know that numerically that doesn't make any sense, but my point is like people always like who's the auxiliary? George Martin's the fifth Beatle. Who's the fifth yeah, Beatle? Yeah. But like you watch that and you're like, there's like. Nine, ten Beatles. Like everyone sort of. Everyone in the building is a Beatle. They're so human. They're so beautifully human, that band. That's what I really love about them. Like I've loved them Mm -hmm. my whole life as a fan, and I've read everything, and I've watched everything, and I know a lot about them. But you watch that thing, and you're like, oh my God. Such. I think they all, except George, I don't know what was going on. They all. (laughs) He he gets over it. (laughs) He does. But he's mad. He's rightfully mad. He's sick of being the, you know, the. He even he was like a fifth Beatle somehow, and he's totally. in the band. Yeah. Anyway, I get yeah. where he's coming from, but he he comes across crabby, and I think maybe rightfully so. But I also have a lot more sympathy for Paul. John's high as hell, like and not yeah, he hasn't written I mean, any songs. Yeah. And but my point is like such beautifully open humans to the people yeah. around them, and I feel like you know these days people like that would be complete prima donnas. They couldn't help it. Oh, they don't totally. even realize it. Yeah. They're not self-aware about how they're treating yeah. people. These guys are just blokes, just like cool guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm open. To- I, I wonder I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that they hadn't played a show in like many years at that point. Oh, they didn't have to deal with crap or what? Or just like like the whole like, you know how people can get swept up in like. Oh, right. Obviously, obviously they're the Beatles. They're famous but like they're also so insular and have been for so long maybe they've just been removed from that like the the impulse to even be a prima donna oh yeah the hero worship was gone because if you're not if you're not around 15 and even in those even the sections where they're like they're interviewing people on the street it's everyone's so cavalier it's like it's not like 
oh my god you know it's not Beatlemania it's just like yeah I like the Beatles yeah I like Paul I'm here to see if they show up and then they they show there's those two women in the waiting outside of the Apple uh, building for them to just pull up and they drive themselves in in their cars except for John John and Yoko but the rest of them (laughs) drive Mm, themselves up and they go in by themselves there's like a camera across the street and the two women who uh, claim they're just waiting for for a sight of them don't even do anything they don't even do they're anything. They're British. They're, they're just, just very British yeah. people. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, everything's fine. Whatever. Yeah, they are. We, we saw yeah, them. That's it. I'm not going to bother on. anyone. Nothing's yeah. a big deal. The Britishness probably has something to do with it. My point here about all of this, do people uh, who are singing your songs, Dan, make uh, suggestions? Do they suggest like, well, why don't you try this? Or I don't know about this line. Has that ever happened? No. It's never happened, but I... I don't think so, but I'm open to that. Yeah. And we, I think more, I think the issue is we haven't really done that enough to even get to that point yet. Right. But, but the way we're functioning now, that's more likely to occur, I would say. Okay. No, I, yeah. I, I feel like you would be open to that too, but I also know you're, but I also feel like I just have this like sort of like really deep mutual respect with everybody involved and, these people for whatever reason trust me and my various impulses and just are are there to to add their thing to whatever needs what you know whatever may um be required well, i think to to be a, a visionary uh in a leadership position you do have to that can be tricky to be open to uh suggestions and notes if you will so i appreciate that you seem to have a level head well, I think that even, you know, I, the, the, the reality is I would do, I would do everything instinctively different than anyone else in the band naturally does it. Yeah. And so no matter what, if I make a record alone, it's going to be different than an outfit record. Yeah. And that's the thrill of the outfit. That's why, like, like selfishly speaking, yeah. that's what makes it exciting is like, oh, I would never do that on the bass or I would never play the drums that hard or whatever. <laughs> That's your brother. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. So these songs, we were talking about kind of uh, the, the temporal context for the work that you released in 2020. The Cobra poems, you seem like a person who writes and puts stuff out pretty quickly, meaning like it's of the moment mostly. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Are these songs reflective of the Cobra poem songs reflective of pandemic life per se? They were created intentionally to have fun. Yeah. That's how I wrote those songs. I was like, what, are, what is the funnest kind of thing that we can do right now? Which is why it's basically just a rock and roll album. Is that a arra- you know? Are you talking arrangement wise or lyrically? Both. Yeah. They seem it's fun. It's like, I think so. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I try, you know, I, I've had a, I have an impulse to be sarcastic with in, in lyric. And I'm trying to get away from that hmm. and just be thoughtful. Sarcastic, ironic. What's the what do you what do you mean sarcastic exactly? Yeah, like you know, uh, talk about something negative, but but not right on the nose, but instead sort of like take the pers- take the persona of the wrongdoer or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you do you do that. I mean? You do. You've done that yeah. a few times. I, I yeah. I was also listening to so one of the three albums is the live record, which hang on. No, that's the wrong one. Where's the? Oh, here it is. 
So the live record that came out this year is fully plugged in. Mm-hmm. I got look. There's a mm-hmm. nice note from Steve Lamke there. What does it say? Oh, thanks. It just Vish. says thanks, Vish. That's nice. <laughs> anyway, three exclamation points. I was listening to this one. So the one of the song I was listening to this yesterday too. And one of the songs, "The Pride of Queens." We, you and I talked about it when the, the that record came out. But you have a yeah. tendency to write about people and things that bother you uh, in in yeah. withering terms. Yeah, sure. So is yeah. there any of that like a particular injustice injustice towards you know. punk rock? Yeah, you're you're not happy about that stuff. But uh but you uh yeah, there's like a song like Holy Trumpeteer which I couldn't tell if that was sarcastic for example. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then you know, these days when you see the word Trump in anything, you're like, "What?" I know that's, yeah, I that was not that was not intentional, that but I did realize I realized after the fact that people who, might think who that. Uh, I don't mean to get too into this, but who uh, influenced Holy Trumpeteer? Is it worth saying? Or who or what? It's no particular person. It's more uh, a, a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. I would say so. What? What kind of lifestyle? Like a the the kind of lifestyle that you could only attain by uh, having um, skewed values. Okay. Okay. Again, I don't <laughs> want to ruin anything, but I, I like baby. If we stick it out and stuff, a lot of babies. Well, yeah. Well, Jules and I try to baby it up as much as possible. Wait, wait we we actually have a sort of baby competition where <laughs> who can say the most babies on stage. <laughs> that is a so baby. For those who don't know, uh, <laughs> baby is a term that has been invoked in rock and roll uh, since at least the nineteen. 19- it's a rite 50s. of passage. Yeah. It's a rite. You just say baby, and you're usually referring to a loved one uh, of of your own age. It's not actually yeah. a small baby, but well, you just our, our whole crew address each other as baby. Now, what is that about? Well, it's, 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 it became, it's one of those, like, watching the Get Back thing again, the Beatles thing, you realize, someone pointed this out to me the other day, one of the things that's interesting about the Beatles is that they were doing stuff that we now view as cliche kind of stuff. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't think they indulged in stuff that is shameful or, or so hackneyed or spinal tappy, but no one had done as a band, what they had done, meaning yeah. no one had gotten that famous, no one had affected that much socio-cultural, political yeah. change, and they, as you watch that, it's the end of basically a six-year run of that, so they barely had time to process what they've done. Yeah. They can't possibly... I'm sure they hadn't at all. There's, there's no that really, really fascinating moment where Paul McCartney alludes to the fact that 50 years from now, people are, are going to say that Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles by sitting on an amp. Totally. That that worked on, for me, that was hugely shocking. I'd never seen that footage before, as a lot of us hadn't. Yeah. Uh, uh, some of it circulated in bootleg form, but I hadn't seen that part before, and it resonated with me on two levels. One, holy shit, he was right. How could yeah. you be in the moment in 1969 with that relationship with John and Yoka, they'd only been together a couple years. Yeah. Uh, who, who could, and that's all that's happened since then. People scapegoat Yoko. The yeah. other part of it is like, who has the gall to think that people will be talking about them in 50 years? Like the, the self-awareness worked for me on two levels and I was just blown away by it. So yeah, on some, I mean, they, so many things were invented for them because yes. of the enormity that they became yeah. out of pure necessity, you yeah. know, as all, all invention is so they you know that in itself must have made them aware to some degree that like okay like there is an entire new apparatus because of us 
you know, because of what, it, regardless of whether we made it happen or the universe made it happen or whatever yeah. it is, like yeah. it is happening and, and we are the center point of this new thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like no matter what, on some level, you have to be cognizant of that. Well, we say baby, baby is just like a rock and roll word. It just became a rock yeah, and roll word. And, totally. I, and I feel like it's just one of those things that over time, it's like uh, there was a point in the uh, mid to late 90s where I worked with a, a guy that I didn't like at a self-serve gas station. And he always like, <laughs> he always said, dude, dude, oh, dude, yeah. can you fill in for me, dude? Can you take my shift, yeah. dude? And I used to hate it because I don't know, I associated dude with some something dumb. But now I say dude. And everyone says, dude, it never went away. Yeah. And baby, yeah. it never went away. So I... Uh, there's there's certain <laughs> things. I, I mean, somebody at Shopper's Drug Mart the other day, like, got, like, walked, he was working there, yeah. and crossed my path, like, like just, like, bad timing, turning mm. a corner multiple times. And both times, he's like, sorry, boss. Yeah, boss, that's a horrible... Boss one. is rough. The boss I is bad. I do not like it. Yeah, I, I don't, don't like chief, it. Chief, boss, these are bad. Chief, chief is bad on many levels. One of the uh, disgraced CBC hosts that we, whose name we dare not say whenever I yeah. ran into him, I feel oh, like he God. didn't remember I'm my sure name. I'm sure he said something super stupid. No, he would always call me boss or chief, and I realized Ugh. it's because he couldn't remember my name. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a cop out. And I didn't like that. So, yeah, I get yeah. it. I get what you're saying there. My point in the babies thing, though, and you say fun record... You know, Dan, you put out records, and sometimes uh, people can't help they're them. Fun. They are fun. <laughs> sometimes they're fun. They're always, I think, quite fun. We haven't even talked about the less fun version of a record that you put out this year. Maybe, maybe we should do that at some point too. <laughs> I thought it was still pretty fun. But my point is, uh, you put out records, and uh, the the easy thing for someone in my position, let's say, not necessarily yeah. me. But they might they might be like, well, this sounds like that, and this sounds like this, or well, clearly he's going for this. And I, in covering you, I probably said, oh, well, this reminds me of a uh, Rolling Thunder review, Dylan, or something, just because I thought you were attacking things in a certain with a certain ferocity, not necessarily that it yeah. sounded like it. I just thought the yeah, yeah. the spirit was there. The spirit, sure. So yeah. the spirit that I hear on this, and forgive me in advance, mm. there's some stone stuff happening here. Yeah, is that fair? Was that an influence at this particular time? I feel like it'd be crazy if you didn't hear that. Okay. Well, I, I just don't like pigeonholing you or people generally by saying it's anyone. Thing. But it's that, you know, it was like, okay, what's like, what's that sort of like, you know, sort of lavish, indulgent spirit of rock and roll that makes it dangerous and fun and, you know, and, and those things just like instinctively appeared when we got together with the uniformed attitude of that as the goal you know but you got a horn section uh on a couple of songs like a horns appear yeah. and yeah. the riffs are more i would say you know they're in that zone aren't they yeah 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 totally okay mm -hmm. so uh it just uh, it's it's brilliant stuff though like I, I think that that sort of sticky fingers era of the stones that I hear here, mm -hmm. that whole run, like I, it is weirdly fun and dark, because totally. like yeah. oddly enough, I feel like that time. If you think about that run they were on with those three or four records, which uh, off the top of my head, what would they be? They would be Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile, right? Like Exile, that's yeah. those are the ones. And then Goat's yeah. Head Soup, I think, is a bit lost. And I don't. This is a turning point. I know, but I always sure. I thought that was good. I it's. I think it's good that, too. It's something that gets lost, and everyone's like, "Those yeah. four, that's it." I'm like, "Really?" Like, no, but I, I really, I, I do think like the, I think the pinnacle, 
being or the, like the, the summit being exile, I would say. I love exile. I, I have a soft spot for sticky fingers. Sticky fingers is unbelievable. I, I think that maybe the unintended parallel between Cobra poems and exile would be the forced isolation. Yeah. Aspect they were in of, Paris uh, making a record kind of, literally in exile. Totally. Not to compare the album to Exile is clearly inferior, it, but... It, um, no, uh, don't sell yourself short, first of all. But secondly, I feel like... So I don't know what it is about my brain, but I went to Sticky Fingers with this one uh, more than Exile. Okay. But I see what you're saying. The yeah. spirit is similar. And and precipice yeah. of change, like cataclysmic change. Like imagine... Totally. You know, 69, 70, 70, Like just imagine being in that zone where... Again, like you watch the Beatles movie and... They're having conversations about Martin Luther King's assassination after it's just yeah. just happened. Like it's just sort happened. of weird yeah. being yeah. observing people in history, processing it relatively in the moment, stuff that totally. we just all now view as monumental. And so yeah. uh, I'm sure Jagger and and I mean the Stones were kind of all over the. Well, Exile was a disjointed record; they weren't always around and totally. blah blah blah. Yeah. So uh, they were in exile. They're fleeing the British tax code and all that stuff and they mm -hmm. makeshift studio everything was a bit ramshack sometimes not everyone showed up uh yeah. it's like a fucked up record that band fucked up when not totally. everyone showed yeah, up yeah totally. so exile is yeah exile i, I used Still to say happening. exile was my favorite but i have a the coherence of sticky fingers is starting to resonate with me more somehow i don't know i just need yeah. the comfort of it i also i if i had a favorite song it might be can't you hear me knocking like yeah, it's I just, perfect. It is. It's perfect. And yeah. there's like, when I hear Baby, if we stick it out, I hear little production elements of like that era of the Stones. Totally. And so I get where you're coming from is all I'm getting. So it's a fun, yeah. fun record. Uh, but of course. And, and you know, like how, th how these things work. It's not like citing. It's not like we're citing this and then doing that. It's just like we're people who are students of music doing a thing. Here's the general aesthetic. And this just happens. You know? Yeah. Right. Okay. So the other record that isn't the live record that I already put away that you released uh, this year, I think it was only digital. What was that record called? Oh, Kissing the Foe. Yeah. yeah. That came out in 2021, right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so that is that you? That's just you. That's just me. Yeah. Right. But it's not H and shit. So that's, I mean, you do this too sometimes. You make a solo record and like you're one of the few people, uh, if they make a solo record, it's pretty much all you. Uh, is, yeah. that, is that the case for that one? Yeah. Okay. And does that? I can't remember if, if if there's horns or something. I'd probably hired somebody. But are you picking uh, up horns? I wondered about that. I I know you cited Aaron uh, Aaron Hutchinson as the trumpet yeah. player on uh, Cobra Palms. Cobra but Palms. I may have had him do stuff on, or maybe I used a Mellotron. I don't remember. But if there's real horns, then it's probably Hutchie. I know you. You're pretty much an in the moment guy, and this is probably a, a trite question. But like, is there a zone for you where you're like? How do you know again if something's for you? Outfit, ancient shapes, like to to do that. Is there any rationale behind it, or is it just whatever you're feeling like doing? Yeah, the the those are three different sort of emotions, I, I think. And uh, time is is something that factors into what it will be. Yeah. You know, d depending if. Uh, or the the need for solitude or not, or th things like that. I mean, mode wise, when the last time we talked about Agent Shapes, you told me something like, often it's just the drums are set up in mics, so you go play drums for two three minutes, and then you decide later what the other stuff's going to be musically. And then, yeah. do you improv the lyrics? For Shapes, 
Sometimes you write. I usually have. I usually have like titles. Right, but you when you get on the mic, you hit record, and you just yeah. go for it. I'm not like Jay Z kind of thing. <laughs> I'm more like like I'll have like you know, I can't do that. That's like one of the most baffling things to me is is um, what do they call that? That he just goes in with nothing. Freestyle. He claims he claims he goes in with nothing, and then you watch that. He's the only rapper to uh, rewrite history without a pen, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> only rapper to rewrite history without a pen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that album, The Blueprint 3. Mm. No one really... Do you like that one? It's got some bad stuff on it. Do you know it? I don't know it, no. That's when I saw him and I got to meet him was when he released that record. Yeah. And the folks at the CBC who did that big show with the guy who's not there anymore. Yeah. They... He was... Jay-Z was due to be there on a Saturday... And I worked at CBC, but yeah, in a totally different department, right? So they, I, but I was friends with everyone at that show. And the main producer on it was like, it's just going to be me and the host. And I know you know a lot about Jay Z. Like, can you vet the script? And I said, okay. So I, they sent me the script and it was wrong. Like, this stuff yeah. was just biographically yeah. wrong. And I thought the questions weren't, I helped, I, I punched it up. Yeah. I fixed it. And then they said, can you, um, so he's coming in on Saturday. He's doing a little round of press for the, he was playing at the Air Canada Center. Yeah. Which is what the arena was called at the time. Can you come in? We don't want it to just seem like we have nobody working here. Can uh, you come in and just be there? And just a stand and I was like, in person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, my wife and I are going to see, uh, the show. The show in the yeah. Even, yeah. We're going to the show anyway. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I go in and, uh, and you know, the disgraced host guy is being himself and, <laughs> He's like, I will just sit. I will not greet him. I will sit. It'll be a big, like he had like a whole psychology of how he yeah, dealt with people. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you would know. Anyway, so uh, uh, my, Michelle and I are there and uh, and uh, my colleague says, uh, if you could, one thing you could do, if you don't mind, like, could you make him some tea? Like, we just got to have stuff ready. Like, she wanted us to help. It wasn't, yeah. she needed help. It was a Saturday and I'm totally. like, yeah, Absolutely. And I'm surprised. I would think a whole gaggle of producers would be like, Jay-Z's coming Jay-Z's in? Here. Fuck like, that. I'm coming in work. on my day off, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. So I, uh, Michelle makes uh, Jay-Z, Sean Carter, mm-hmm. some tea. What and kind? I, uh, probably whatever, I doubt it was Orange Pico, whatever they had, maybe some herbal tea. Herbal, I don't yeah. Lemon I don't ginger. know if he had a rider or anything. I don't remember. I, I was in privy. I feel like he's probably a lemon ginger guy. Well, nowadays, yeah, probably. It'd have to be yeah. some sort of vegan tea because yeah. of Beyonce. Anyway... Yeah. Is she vegan? I, Beyonce and yeah, Beyonce. I, I think they vegan? they've been experimenting with it, and they did a whole thing where they were vegan for like a month, and then oh, I think it probably stuck. Why not? Anyway, really the the Paul and Linda of our time. They are. I think they yeah. are actually. Yeah. So well, I'm not. I don't. I would say Beyonce is on a higher level than Linda. No. Yeah, I guess. No, yeah. no offense to yeah. Linda McCartney. Uh, rest in peace. I meant. Anyway. I meant that like Beyonce is Paul. Oh, and yeah. maybe Linda. <laughs> that still, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm, uh, holding the studio door open and Jay Z and his gaggle of people come in. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, sorry, I'm holding the control room door open. I don't know why I was just asked to do it, but the studio is like right across the way. So yeah. I'm holding the door open and Jay Z comes and I say, Hey, huge fan. It shakes my hand. I shake his hand and he starts to come in the control room. And his gaggle of people are starting to make their way in. I'm like, no, actually, the recording's in there. Yeah. So he goes in, and they uh, start to do the interview, and it's it's pre-taped or whatever. It's re- they're recording it for broadcast the following week. Uh, anyway, as an intro, they start playing uh, Empire State of Mind, mm-hmm. 
which by this point I know, I'm, as I'm speaking to you, I know all the words to it. But at yeah. this point, I don't quite have it. I don't have it nailed down yet. But it's playing, and I'm in the booth doing this. I'm dancing because yeah. I can't help it. I love that song. I just loved yeah. it. It had just come out, and I think it was a single. It's with Alicia Keys. Anyway, yeah. Jay-Z, Sean, he's like rocking out, and he sees me rocking out, and he gives me like a smile because I'm the only fucking one totally. into it. And then they have the interview, and it's fine. And I think my notes helped. Anyway, interview's done. He's got to rush over to Much Music, which at the time was a music station in Canada. I don't think it exists anymore. Vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's about to rush over there. They're going to walk, just going to walk down Peter Street or John Street. John Street. They're just going to walk down to to Much Music with his little crew and do like a live thing on Much. Anyway, before he leaves, I ask if I can get a photo. And I go into the recording booth, which again, just the now disgraced host and Jay Z, mm-hmm. and I'm asked to take a photo of them with whatever right. they have. But I ask the now disgraced host <laughs> if he can take a photo of me and Jay Z, which he goes, yeah. "Yeah, all right," like that. He uh-huh. kind of says it like, "Uh, I guess so." He does it. It's a horrible photo. It's dark. I have it. It sucks. Like it's not great. Yeah. I feel badly of about course, it. It's not. Of a- course, it's bad. <laughs> Anyway, then uh, Jay-Z leaves. Oh, and I flashed The Rock, the, which is the Rockefeller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, He's just, totally. he knows I'm a big guy, fan, you know, yeah. and we have a nice exchange. Michelle meets him. It's great. What a thrill. But it's just a fleeting thing. But he leaves, and then the disgraced host sort of leaves in a slight huff. I find out later <laughs> from my colleague, you're not supposed to ask him to take photos of you with the guests. It's a big no-no. I'm like, what? What? I don't know. What was I supposed to do? He's in a rush. Jay was Jay Z was Hova was leaving. I had to I had to pin him down, yeah. and he's the only guy there. No one else came in. Yeah. What the hell? Is, I just took a photo of him. Anyway, on a human level, it taught me that day. I'm like, oh, that's what fuck goes on here. You know, like I I didn't yeah. I didn't I had an inkling from some colleagues. Anyway, that was my Jay Z story. Why did I tell you that? I don't even remember. Prima donna. Oh, because of the he freestyles. If you watch the yeah. documentary <laughs> about the Black album, that really hits. Have you ever seen that? The thing with no, I haven't. Holy shit, man! So there's a, a documentary about the making of the Black album, and it shows yeah. Jay Z going to work with uh, Timbaland and Timbaland playing him the "Dirt Off Your Shoulder" beat for the first time, yeah. and Jay Z makes a face like. He's never heard anything like this before in his life. Do you know the Black Album? Yeah. Do you know that album? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then the most interesting scene, I thought, was uh, Jay-Z goes to make 99 Problems mm-hmm. with Rick Rubin, uh, who people know, might know for his work with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and <laughs> and Johnny Cash, and Neil Diamond. He's done a lot of projects, and Beastie Boys. Yeah. So in the sequence, uh, Mike D from Beastie Boys is in the studio watching this, and you hear Rick Rubin say... To Mike D, he doesn't write anything down. I've never seen anything like this. He just goes. It's the most ridiculous rapping I've ever seen. Rick, Ru- Rick Rubin, Rubin says this to Mike D as yeah. Jay Z's in a booth. Right. But fascinatingly for you, I know I don't. I know you like Ian McKay. I believe you're a fan of the yeah, Minor yeah, Threat, yeah, yeah. but I don't believe yeah. you love the Fugazi as much. Is that correct? Is that a fair thing to say on the record? I don't know. That was just for that's for jokes. <laughs> my, you can see behind me. I have a poster of that band. I, 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 do I see like that, them yeah. a lot. So my point yeah. is, I like Fugazi. I, I, on the record, it's I fair. Do. I know. I'm just. Yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to. <laughs> <laughs> he uh Rick Rubin loves them too and he tries to get Jay-Z to do uh 99 problems over a demo from Instrument. Cool. Uh which I believe is I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, it's uh There's footage of this? 
Yeah. So the footage starts it's in the documentary. When you go to the when it gets so that's a documentary. So it's scene to scene yeah, to yeah. scene to scene. When yeah. it gets to the uh, uh, part where he's working with. Um, uh, Jay, when Jay Z and, and Rick Rubin are working Rick, together, yeah, yeah. it starts with a voice. So, if this is all from my memory, I could be wrong. I think it's on mm-hmm. YouTube. I'll send you the link. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a scene where uh, Jay Z in the transition is doing a little voiceover about what he's doing. Yeah. And in the background, you hear, I believe it's closed captioned by Fugazi mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in demo form from the instrument soundtrack. And you hear Jay Z trying to do 99, I think it's 99 problems over it, but it's not working crazy and so it's a bizarre i'll send you the link after this is done all this to say uh you're good uh at at what you do (laughs) and the fact that you uh kind of freelance uh a little bit when you're stepping up to the mic is baffling to me uh but i I appreciate that you're not jay-z yeah i i I couldn't uh i don't think i could handle it (laughs) you mentioned uh uh, carson mchone Mm -hmm. and uh, that is your life partner Truly. And Carson's a musician in their own right. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. I got a thing from Merge Records saying that uh, on February 25th, there's a record coming out by her called Still Life. Did you have anything to do with the making of this record? I did. I guess I produced it. Oh, that's fun. Did you go down to... where? Where's Carson from? How did you meet this Carson? She's from Austin, uh, but we did it in my living room. Oh, okay. Oh, not even your studio? No, studio didn't exist yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, and how did and you're you're married are you? Yeah. And how did you meet? Um, touring like many years ago. Oh, okay, okay, cool. But it's, yeah. so, it, but you mentioned earlier that she's a fifth outfit. Is she in? Is she's she, she's in the outfit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if I've seen you. She wouldn't have been at that CD show. That she's yet to play a show. We we were oh, about okay. to premiere her, but uh, that didn't happen. Nice. So, so she's, yeah. uh, uh, we talked about your songwriting earlier. I know you're a producer. Did you have a hand in any lyrics or anything? Is, is this no, all no, it's all her, all the songs. She had all the songs uh, in the bag. And, uh, you know, I just uh, lent my uh, sort of rhythmic aesthetic and whatever to to the songs to serve them the best I could. And everybody seemed to be happy about it. So Now, uh, as, as carefully as you can, uh, <laughs> how, how would you characterize uh, the music that Carson makes? I just now, for those listening... Because we've been talking about it, I decided to download the, the 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 record that I was given, but I don't know anything about it. I haven't had a yeah. chance to listen to it. Uh, I would say it's um, poetic, introspective, whimsical. Uh, some of it's rock and roll, some of it's folk kind of thing. Okay, it's it's pretty in tune with with what you might expect a person like me to like, and it's you know it's very good. Her, her lyrics are very very good and. She's a brilliant singer and song crafter. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, I don't, I appreciate even that little bit of insight and I'll yeah. spend some time with it myself. Um, knowing what you know of me and knowing mm-hmm. what you know of Carson, mm-hmm. do you imagine there might come a time where Carson and I might want to have a conversation more in depth about D- yeah. this record? Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, okay. it does. Yeah. And I think you, you, you'd both enjoy it. Is she aware of who I am by any stretch of the imagination? She is, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, we've we've listened to your podcast together. Really? Oh, that's very yeah. kind. I didn't know that yeah. was a thing that you would do with your loved ones. I didn't. That, that's yeah. not what I recommend to people. I say go by yourself and spend time with me and my <laughs> guests. Don't share yeah. it with other people. Don't do it yeah. together. No, yeah. no, that's great. So that's uh, one thing that, and I assume if you could tour, you will be a part of that, right? You yourself. 
Yeah, yeah. The plan is uh, it'll be a, a double bill, right? Uh, for for the you know um, the stretch of shows that we are that are on the tentative books. Okay, cool. Anything else on the books for you beyond uh, the stuff we've? There's a like I said, three records came out in 2021. As we're speaking, Dan, it's 2022. Or rather, as people as we're speaking, it's not 2022. But no, as people but, are listening, yeah. it might be 2022. Any be. other plans for releases? You alluded to a top secret thing that Steve Lamke should have sent to me. <laughs> but uh, anything else that uh, we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I don't like we don't. You know, I realize like we don't have like sneaky rollout plans like uh, all the bigwigs, or at least like we don't. They're not plans that maybe it happens that way, but. So there's some things at the pressing plant, yeah. Okay. There's a couple things. Okay. Uh, we're running an archive series oh. uh, for the records that came out um, last year. Oh, physical copies physical, of. Phys- oh, yeah. nice. Okay, yeah. great. So, so two and three will be issued first, which is which will be uh, Visions of the Higher Dream and Content to Point the Way. One and two being the eventual issuing of Nerveless and Human Touch. Right. The the other records that were digital only and temporary. The only other thing I want to I appreciate that. So that's forthcoming stuff is is archive. That's real inclusive kind of new, exclusive news for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Now I don't get a lot. Actually, the last time you were on the show, you told me about records I, coming. I spoil out. something? <laughs> no, you just told you just talked about records that weren't coming out. Like in fe- I want to say January, you told me about records that didn't end up coming out till October. Oh, or yeah. something and that was very That's, kind of you i uh, or I'm, i mean i'm not on an exclusivity level i was just nice to know what you're up to i mean i think yeah. you're probably your fans by the way every time you're on the show i hear from your fans you're one of those people oh, that's nice it's like you and like whenever andy Schaff's on i get emails like I, it's rare to get emails or messages specifically from fans of the yeah. of the guests but it happens sometimes but yeah, for some reason, you and Andy shot. I get like every time just, death, death threats. No, no, just like oh, it was interesting you talked about this, but did you consider this? And I'm like, they, oh, they have theories. It's like a, it's like the movie JFK. Uh, <laughs> they have the same sort of uh, impulse. The one thing we didn't talk about, I realize, which I I'm gathering, you had some highlights in 2021, and I bet you knew this was coming. Here, hang on a second. I want to show you something. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of things I want to show you. I have uh, this. Yes. What is it, Dan? Tell people what it is. It is the Springtime in New York Bootleg Series, Volume 16 by uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, you know what else I have? Hang on, let me show you this. I also have this, which I haven't actually... I unsealed the other one and listened to it, but I also have the... the, the what is it called? The 2LP version? Yeah. Oh, is that the Columbia one? Or Sony, whatever it is. Yeah, this is the is this Dan? is the the one I just showed uh, uh, Dan there, folks. Was the Third Man Records sort of the Third Man one? Yeah. Do you, do you have any of those? Uh, no. You don't have. Um, maybe I do. And I also they sent me the CD version of it, which is in the basement. Right. Where I'd show that off too, like a glutton. Yeah, yeah. Like a horrible yeah. <laughs> Dylan glutton. But why? Uh, why for the folks? Tell the folks at home why I. <laughs> Oh, don't make me talk about it. Okay, so here's the thing that happened. I'll tell you. And you tell me. Okay, you just tell me how this felt. I, uh, in my position as Vish Khanna in Canada, Mm -hmm. was sent uh, the advanced versions of of this. Do you like this collection, by the way, beyond anything else? Before we get... Uh, uh, From what I've heard of it, yeah, totally. You haven't heard the whole thing? No. Why is that? Is it not your favorite era? Uh, 
No, no. I, I, well, it's not my favorite era, but yeah. it's an era that I like. Yeah, I, um, I wasn't sure about it. Uh, I have trouble. I have trouble with box sets these days. Well, yeah, there's the because yeah, of the, like, the scale. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. you can the, the breadth of it. Yeah. Well, also the pressing plant backups that these things cause, uh, because the majors don't really have much else to do. You know, they got no product. Well, that's just, you know, this is how it always goes. The punk, the punks do something and then the other people ruin it. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. So the reason I bring this up is, uh, so in my capacity as being me, I get advanced stuff sometimes. And they sent me a, a digital version of this box set and the liner notes. And in the liner notes, I noticed with great pride, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but Dan, you're, you and your band, are referenced in the liner notes of a Bob Dylan collection because you... Yeah. yeah, it's true. Because what did you do again? You did something very interesting in 2020. Uh, on a kind of... It's sort of a joke, but it's also not. We, we brought a joke to life, yeah. Um, something we discussed for years, really. Uh, what we did was we did the Plugs Letterman performance version of the entirety of an album for fun. <laughs> now, which, which record did you, did you do as the plugs? Which Dylan uh, record? Infidels. You did Infidels, and why... This is a funny idea, but that performance... I guess I know why. I, I'm not going to play dumb. I was playing dumb for a couple of things there, but why am I playing dumb? People know I know things. Sometimes I play they dumb. They do, especially about that guy. <laughs> so uh, he went on Letterman, which was a rare uh, occurrence, and to my knowledge... He decided he would bring like a, a pickup band with him, not yeah. like whatever, whoever he was playing with. And he became enamored of uh, the Plugs, um, mm-hmm. who were an L.A. based sort of punk band. Right. Yeah. And so not all of the Plugs appear, but some of the Plugs appear with Dylan. Yeah. And they run through uh, a number of uh, what do they do? Three songs on Letterman or something like that. In the actual performance. Yeah. I think there's a there's maybe a couple others that are rehearsal, rehearsal footage. Rehearsal. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's a cool sound, but uh, yeah. I mean, famously, he had the wrong harmonica on stage. He had the wrong key, mm-hmm. and there was a big kerfuffle and blah, blah, blah. But I thought that was really interesting for him to do, and I thought it was really fascinating that you homed in <laughs> on this particular moment in his history and fleshed it out. Like, that's that's very funny. And they, uh, I, my understanding is that Dylan Camp was aware of this, that you did this. Is that right? yeah. Yeah, and they were supportive of it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get any actual feedback from them? You know who we got feedback from was uh, that band, The Nerves. Yeah. They, for some reason, liked it. Whoever, somebody from that band, the main dude. Oh, I, okay. I don't remember anybody's name or anything, but that was like notable feedback, I thought. But yeah, we did get, we didn't get, um, I think we got feedback from The Plugs too, somebody from The Plugs. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, my point, though, is uh, I uh, I happen to have a sneak peek of this information that you were mentioned in the liner notes, and I wrote you a text and said... You told me, yeah. Did I tell you? Was I the first person to tell you? You were the first person to tell me, yeah. Did I do it in a wrong way? Because I kind of did it in a... No, you screamed it. <laughs> like, like it was all caps. <laughs> I think I said... Have you, because I'm under embargo, I'm not supposed to share yeah. certain bits of yeah. information, right? So I abide by it because I don't want to shit where I eat or whatever the expression is. So I said, uh, hey, have you by chance, I thought they might tell you. Like, I just thought given your, the fact that you had a bit of a, you must have had some sort of two-way conversation about even doing it, right, for 
whatever reason. Well, it, Roddy being the biggest Dylan fan uh, in the group, uh, he was in charge of talking to Dylan's manager okay. and okay. people and everything. So, I, But he wasn't privy to it. Okay, yeah. And I think... So they didn't tell us. Maybe they thought we would be happy with a surprise, but... So how did you know. feel? You're a fan. I know you're saying Roddy's the biggest yeah, fan. Yeah. You're a big fan. Yeah. Uh, I send you the text... And I mm-hmm. say, what I said was, hey, have you been, are you, have you by chance been told about the liner notes for this thing? And you were like, no. Why? Like question marks. Yeah. And I went, okay, can you keep a secret? And then I pasted, because they sent me like a Word doc of it or whatever. I pasted the blurb for you. And I think you, mm-hmm. you freaked out, didn't you? You freaked out a little? I was, I was happy about it. But <laughs> mostly I was like, I, well, to be honest, I showed Roddy. That's the first thing you did? Yeah. Was he in the vicinity? No. Have you receiving the text or I, did you just I, copy I copied it, it and sent it to him? Okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. I asked, can you keep a secret? And you immediately send it to Immediately Roddy. did not, yeah. Now, this has a very, I appreciate that you did this because it has a, first of all, it's over. The album's been out, a, yeah. the box set's been out a long time. Yeah. I didn't think telling someone mentioned in it would be a huge crime. What was Roddy? I know uh, it actually has a very sentimental, uh, it had a sentimental impact on Roddy, right? Yeah, big time. Yeah, he was very, very, very happy about it. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sent me a nice note over one of the social media things to mm-hmm. uh, express his thanks. And uh, my understanding is he was able to show this to uh, his uh, father who subsequently passed away, which totally. meant a lot to him. Yeah, yeah. and so was, I, he was very also very proud of it. Well, what? A, okay, so this is all very sweet and nice. Roddy's not here, so I can't ask him these same questions. But like I said, he conveyed his gratitude towards me too, that he, I was... Because you wouldn't have known otherwise. The record yeah. was out. I had it months, or a couple months in advance or whatever. Yeah. So I just was so excited for you that I wanted to share it with you. And um, and thank you for doing that. Yeah, I guess it worked out in a way that I wasn't even aware that it could. Totally. Um, so, but you, personally, Roddy was happy. Viscerally, mm-hmm. you were happy. But what did you... What did that do to your day? Did it make you particularly excited? I mean, not much. I mean, it's a weird thing. It's like, okay, well, this is like, you know, it's cool and interesting subculturally, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, and the, at the end of the day, it's sort of like acknowledgement for like a gag. (laughs) But isn't that great? But a gag is, a gag is thoughtful. You like comedy. Yeah, totally. And also, yeah. like, it's not like Bob Dylan hasn't made entire albums that were jokes. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Like, I don't mean that in a demeaning man. I mean, I mean, like, intentionally. Yeah, I think he's jokes. a jokester. He yeah, likes to a, put on yeah. jokes. I feel like yeah. most of the things he's, he's comedy, done. Comedy is 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 a is very necessary in music. I think. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I, I only uh, I can relate to it only in that, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, maybe, but I have a certain. I get a visceral thrill whenever the Dylan camp will blurb my reviews. Totally. And they'll just mention it. And I'm like, what the? It feels like being seen Mm -hmm. by someone who you would think. I mean, it's not Bob, but like the fact that, well, at the same time. Who knows? Well, whenever you reach out to a camp like Bob's, whatever I do about some proposal, and often, as you might guess, it's like, Again, if he ever, I know he does like one interview every 10 years, but again, yeah. I do it for a living and, or whatever this is. And, uh, <laughs> and if he ever wants to talk, so I always do that. And uh, every once in a while, it'll be like a project. Hey, the thing I'm working on, working for the company, uh, wants to do something on, uh, Neil Young's birthday. And we know Bob loves Neil Young. What do you want to talk? 
The responses get very specific. Well, we are talking to Bob next week. I'll ask him. So my point is, just on those little glimmers, I'm sure they're like, Bob, uh, here are the reviews. In my case, for example, Bob, here are the reviews that came in for Fallen Angels, uh, yeah. your, your record. We were thinking we would blurb uh, the Los Angeles Times, Rolling Stone, The Guardian, and uh, this guy Vish from Now Magazine. What do you think? And in my mind, it's probably not this at all, but in my mind, he goes, all right, let me take a look at the thing here. Oh, that's pretty... Yeah, that seems good. Sure, go with that. Yeah, There's a slight chance my name has entered his brain. And yeah. you're just like, holy shit. And similarly, yeah. I would think, again, this sounds minor. Every time I bring this up, I do it sheepishly. And the person on the other end is like, no, dude, that's cool. Like, that's a really, you should be excited about that. Because I'm like, you know. Totally. Okay. So you're, you were excited. Yeah. yeah. I just try to, I try not to get too into that, like, idols world, you know, where it's like, like, obviously I love and appreciate everything that that guy's ever done. But at the same time, I try not to put him on a pedestal sure. that is, it doesn't need to exist. Like, like, obviously he's of an, like, of a higher existence and in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways he's not. So it's like, I don't know. I, I ebb and flow with that. Sometimes I'm like, you know. I mean, if, if if you were tapped to open a show for Bob Dylan, you'd be pretty excited. I gather that part. Like, I'm sure that would be true. However, I'm with you. Like, getting back to the, the get back thing, I think Dylan has been trying to humanize himself since 1964. Totally. And it doesn't yeah. always work, so he decides to have fun and fuck around with us a little bit. Which exacerbates the dehumanity. Yeah, it does. It just makes yeah, him seem yeah. like more and more of a character and less and less of a totally. person because yeah. he does all this mysterious shit. But anyway, my point yeah. is, uh, I, I was proud. And, and along with along with what I said about comedy, you know, mysticism is also a very important element yes. in music. It is, and it's so I I understand that, and I obviously you know I partake. Well, one of my uh, heroes who passed away in 2021, Norm MacDonald, also employed yes. enigma and mysticism and pseudo-philosophy in his work. Yeah. And it really gave him a stature and a character that uh, I think about all the time, more than mm-hmm. any m- most other comedians. Like It's not just that he's, he, he was funny, but if you followed him on Twitter or, or all, all the stuff he did, he seems to be coming from the same zone as Dylan. Like, totally, it's one thing to do a thing and for yourself, but it will also mess with people. It'll leave them wondering yeah. more than you know any kind of closure. <laughs> their their yeah. day is like, yeah. what the hell was that? Like for both yeah. those characters, and I think I like, yeah, I like that about them too. I don't, I yeah. don't partake of that myself. I'm pretty much straight as an arrow. Uh, but yeah. I, well, the th- and I think the thing about that is like understanding is not the point. Yeah. You know, understanding can't can't be the point because there's so little to life that we get to understand anyway. Yeah. So the the fun is in the mysticism. Yeah. And the and the truth. Yes, I think also. I think it is. The, there's truth in it too. Well, listen, Dan, we've uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. I appreciate it. We've talked about all the big heavy hitters uh, <laughs> in rock history. I think. Yeah. And you, I hope you enjoyed it. I I want to tell people from what I know. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. If people want to learn more about mm. you and your work, they can go to the You've Changed Records site. Is that right? That's a good starting point. 
Yeah. Is there any other place you'd want to send people? You're on those socials and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Don't go there. Just go to You've Changed. That's probably best. There's a nice uh, plethora of good things there. Yeah, and that'll direct people. Also, you have a band camp and stuff that's always very full, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, and people can find that. Okay. If we can go out on a song, we didn't even talk about Kissing the Foe. Do you want to say anything about Kissing the Foe just in like 30 seconds? I don't seconds? remember it. I really. don't remember either. We talked yeah. a little bit about it. I feel, I hope I, every time we have a ramble, I hope I've done some sort of good job. I, and well, f- well, the thing I like about whenever we talk is it's never like in like, doesn't seem like it's ever in like support of anything or whatever that yeah. means. Sure. So it, it seem it's more genuine that way. Okay, good. I just, just like, I, I got nothing to plug. I like plugging things. I like to yeah. get people on and help them plug things. That's why I do the website stuff and the records. Yeah. But having said that, here's a way, a good way to plug. There's a <laughs> song from uh, Cobra Poems. Let's pick that. I'm going to pick that one of all yeah, the yeah. things we've been talking about. There's a song from Cobra Poems that we can go out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you pick one and tell us why you chose it? Can you show me the track list? Uh, oh, it's so Look. small. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of working. No. Oh, you know what I like is, uh, what is it called? Uh, even in the loom of a caress, is that what it's called? Yeah, that one reminds me of Gandhi, because he used a loom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the loom of a caress, why did that one come to mind? Uh, I just think I, that was the newest song added to that collection before we made it, so it's my, my favorite. Well, what is the meaning behind that phrase, though? I mean, I know it's in the song and it, it's mm. contextualized there, but where did that? That's a that's a unique thing to grab as a title, and I just am curious. What do you do? You want to say anything about it? You know, it's like even in the anticipation or uh, of something, or even in the uh, absence of something. Or it's not an action. Something's coming, or whether not a loom, like <laughs> like when I'm making a rug or whatever. <laughs> no, I know it's in the in uh, the caress is in the offing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, let's. We've, we've talked enough, I'm sure, for most people. Let's just play it. This is uh, Daniel Romano's outfit with Even in the Loom of a Caress from their excellent record, uh, Cobra Poems, which came out in 2021. Uh, it sounds like there's more great stuff coming in 2022, so look out for that. Dan, uh, always a, a pleasure. I love you very much. Thank you for being on the show. Love you. Thank you. Best of luck in the future. Thanks, Fish. Of an unknown sky
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Oh, it's always nice to have Daniel Romano on this show. Thanks again to Dan for uh, coming back and appearing this time on the 660th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. All of Dan's past appearances are somewhere on that website if they're not in your podcast feed there because there's a limit. But anyway, I'll leave that to you. Vishkana.com for more info about uh, all that stuff I just said. You can like Creative Control on Facebook if you like. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at Vish Creative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram, at Vishkana. Also visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast on its feet. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, including... Uh, in some cases, bonus content from uh, current episodes. In other cases, I dip back into the archive. I have a pretty huge archive of audio recordings, uh, interviews rather. And so sometimes I dig some up and I post them up on the Patreon. So if you want to travel back in time with me to when I really, really didn't know what I was doing, uh, but people tolerated me nonetheless. Uh, anyway, that's some of the stuff. But like I say, I've also been... Uh, uh, spending some time with people that are currently on the show and getting a little bit of bonus stuff with them. And I share that on the Patreon. Anyway, $6 or more a month grants you access to all that exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. Again, that address, patreon.com slash Control. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and place orders at by their website, blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on this show. You can learn more about Jim at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you very much for listening to this uh, pretty expansive and uh, this, this episode with Dan went all over the place kind of on me on that one I hope you enjoyed it we just went all over the place it's nice to have Dan back if you like what you heard please subscribe to this podcast ask your friends to do the same spread the word about the show all of that stuff helps it means a lot and it uh, does really help it really does keep the show going so thanks again for all of those things if you can do them otherwise be well stay healthy if you can I will talk to you very soon bye for now
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.